We are talking about, uh, the kids have been talking the last couple weeks about <clears throat> Joshua and Caleb and a woman named Rahab. And since it's Family Worship Sunday, I got to keep everything G-rated. So I was very interested to see how the writers of this curriculum, my mother and my wife, uh, did that so well. But uh, it's very interesting. So if you read, adults, if you read in uh, Joshua chapter 2, um, there's some interesting story about Rahab. So we will, uh, she will be p- playing the role of an innkeeper today, and uh, we're just going to keep it there, all right? You can have your own conversations with the children at other times, um, but I'm not going to be the one who does that. Uh, so, uh, innkeeper. Um, so no, I'm not taking liberties with the scripture. I just uh, was keeping myself out of hot water. So there you go. Um, we're talking about God writing your story today. God writing your story. I don't know about you, but I love to read. I love to read. This is passed on from my dad to me. Um, There are stories of him falling asleep with encyclopedias on his face. There's stories of me falling asleep with encyclopedias on my face in the middle of the night. And now I have Bowen falling asleep with, you know, books on his face up in his uh, he has a lofted bunk bed. Um, and so I will go in there and if I see the light on, I'm like, what's going on? And, uh, he gets, tries to come up with really sneaky ways to hide books in his loft. And so I, whenever he goes to the library, I know there's going to be books up there. So I will come in after they're supposed to be asleep for a couple hours. And I go up there and he's like angling it towards his window so he can see the, the letters. He's going to like need glasses or destroy his eyes here, but, um, or just develop night vision. That might be his superpower. I don't know. Um, and he is reading these books and, and looking at the pictures and imagining whatever world he's going to in it. Um, but I'll reach up there and look, and he's just covered. He's covered in books. Just, and I'm like, give me that one, buddy. And he's like, and then we stand there for five minutes as he digs out different books to hand me. And, I, and part of me is like, yes, right? It's not the army men. It's not the toys. It's not the, the Nerf guns that's up in bed with him that he's dreaming about. It's looking at these books, and I'm like, hoorah. That's, that's how we... How we go. But I love, love to read. And I love the stories of redemption. I love the stories where the hero saves the day. And I've read all kinds of different books. And when I was in high school, I would read probably five, six hundred pages a week, but not my own textbooks, right? Not the the, the books that the kid, the teachers you know, told me to, but I would just read constantly and read these stories. And I fell in love with this idea of this this bigger story that you can be a part of. I love the epics where some little guy walks into some house somewhere and then all of a sudden his life has changed forever and he goes on this incredible journey. That I'm just drawn to those kinds of stories and I, I love them very much. When I read the scripture, when I see the Bible, I see a story. There's all kinds of different stories inside this. There's little stories. If you read the book of Judges, some of these amazing men of God only get four or five lines, and that's the whole story that's told about them. But they all fit into this grander story of thousands of years told. I fell in love with this book before I even fell in love with Jesus. I was amazed by the stories that are in here. I was amazed by the story it tells. People call this thing a lot of different 
things. They call it a manual for life or the instruction manual and all these things. And I really kind of disagree with that. It's a love story to mankind. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, there's story after story of how messed up people, God comes into their life, loves them and cares them enough to set them on the right path. Over and over, and that's, that just happens over and over and over again. The whole thing is about how people are messed up, and, at the, and towards the end, it's all reclaimed and made right again. It's, it's a love story to humanity, and I love it. I, I have a master's degree in this book, right? English majors get it in all kinds of different books. This is it. This is what I, what I get. I've read thousands and thousands of pages one of the only, there's only about three or four books that I've ever read cover to cover twice. They don't, after I read it once, I don't, it's good. Lord of the Rings is one of them in the Bible. That's about all we got. <laughs> right? So, um, but I've read this cover to cover several times. And then there's books in there that I've read over and over again. It's an amazing, beautiful story. You get the chance to be a part of God's story as well. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we let God write our story? There's a woman in a Bible named Rahab. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 2 today. I'm going to kind of uh, tell that story here in a minute of what this looks like. But Rahab is an innkeeper. She's, a, uh, she's on the bad side of town kind of innkeeper. And she has... A past. She's made some choices that are terrible. She's got herself in a predicament where she doesn't know what, how to get out of it. And this is where she is. And as I think about an innkeeper, I want to tell, give you a little context of, of what's going on here. There's some spies that have come into, from the Israelite, they're coming into the promised land and they're checking everything out. Joshua says, hey, he's the military leader and the leader of the Israelite nation. He says, hey, go check out where we're supposed to attack. Where's, you know, does somebody leave a gate open? How do we get in there? What's the, what's the plan? And so these two spies go into Jericho and they walk around. And they're like, oh, okay, we could go. They're coming up with a game plan, but night's coming and they need to go stay somewhere. Well, in ancient times, there, you, there weren't motels. There weren't inns. There were, there, there's only one type of inn, and it's not the nice kind of inn. All right? that's, the only, that's the only option. So if you're wondering, why are these spies going to the nasty kind of inn? Because that's the only inn that there was. All right? You either stayed with friends or family, or you stayed with business associates. Well, if you're a spy, you don't have any friends, and you don't have any business associates. right? So you've got to go to the bad type of inn. Now, being a former youth pastor, one of the worst things that a youth pastor can do is take your children, your youths, as we called them, to a bad kind of inn, right? Wouldn't you say parents of teenagers? That would be a bad, bad thing. So I had a secretary back in Georgia. I had, we're going on a, a trip, a conference, and I had 86 students I was in charge of. Help me, Jesus, right? I made it. That's where, like, this bald spot wasn't there before that trip, but that's Okay. We went, we went to this thing, and my secretary is so excited. She found this amazing deal at the Baymont Inn. Now, Baymont is owned by Wyndham. They 
are amazing hotels. Very nice, very clean, very reputable. Unless it's the Baymont Inn in Birmingham, Alabama. Do not go to the Baymont Inn in Birmingham, Alabama, especially with 86 students. So we show up, we get in there, and I'm like, how much, how much? How, how much are we paying for this? She's like, $40 per kid? No, per, per room. Uh-oh. We got, we got a problem now. <laughs> so we go and we've got, I mean, we almost have the whole, whole thing. And then all of a sudden I start getting phone calls from my counselors. Jared, um, my door won't lock, or there's a hole in the wall, or this substance is on the ground, or I found needles, or awesome! So I had a minor anxiety attack, or major, uh, for the next three days as we stayed in this inn. This is the kind of inn, I guess, if you want to say, that we Rahab's running over here. It's not the greatest place in the world. Do not take your teenagers to this spot. We had no incidents of, of, of harm, and it's just a great memory that Jared didn't get fired that day. So it's so great. It's, it was building a story. Rahab is messed up. She's found her place, found herself running a place like the Baymont. She's found herself there going, what did I get myself into? And how do I get out of it? So these spies come in, and they're hanging out, and then they're pretty noticeable that they're different guys coming out. And the king of Jericho says, you know what? Let's go find those guys. I bet they're spies for that Israelite nation on the other side of the Jordan River. We got to go take these guys out. And they come to Rahab, and they say, hey, give us those spies. And Rahab has hidden them in the straw of the roof. So they're hanging out, being real quiet. And, the, and she goes, oh, they left. They're gone. They're not here anymore. And the king goes, okay, we'll go look for them over there. And because she spared their lives, because she saved them, the guy said, listen, our country is coming. We're going to destroy Jericho. We got a million people across the river. This town is not going to stand. We're coming. And Rahab says, I know this. Will you save me? And so they work out a deal. If you didn't rat me out, I won't rat you out. If you don't rat me out now, we'll save you later. All you got to do when we leave is tie the scarlet thread out your window, and, and you'll be safe when we come. And they're like, okay, that's what we're going to do. So this is the plan that they have, this amazing, interesting plan of how is this all going to work? How is this all going to work in tandem together? It happens. God starts to write an amazing story for Rahab. God will search for you to be in his story. See, God searched out Rahab, this woman who doesn't, you know, she's not a good reputation. She's not the easiest to use. She's just this very interesting character. But God says, you know what? We're going to choose her. The least of these in the whole town of Jericho, we're going to choose her to do an amazing story of redemption through. God will search you out in your story and do the same. God always makes a way for us to be in his story. See in Joshua uh, chapter 2, 17 to 21. Now the men said to her, the oath you made us swear, the, mo- the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. You have tied, oh, sorry, this is lots of commas. This oath you've made us swear. There was a promise that Rahab made them say, hey, we're not going to kill you when we leave will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. But if you tell them what we're doing, 
we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So basically, don't you snitch on us. We got your back. You get kind of thing happen, all right? What's going on historically? There's a few things. This is really interesting as you, as you read it. God, when he writes the story of the Bible, uses these themes. And if, you're, if you pay attention, he sneaks them in ever so often. He's like, wait a minute, I heard this same kind of thing before. When I, when I read before, this is why it's so important to read big chunks of scripture. If you don't like reading the scripture, you get really confused. And you're like, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what's happening right now. You can look up a paraphrased version of the Bible. It's called the message. And you can read huge, a guy named Eugene Peterson kind of translated it. He paraphrased it to make it sound so his 17-year-old teenage daughters could read the Bible uh, quickly. That's why he, he did the translation. So if you are maybe... Reading's not your thing, but you really want to get to know the meat of the scripture, get the message. It's not a Bible, it's a paraphrase. So it's not, I'm not going to be preaching out of it very often, okay? That's, that's the difference. Now there's something called the New Living Translation, which is an easier translation to read. And it's, um, it's great and fabulous. And I, I suggest that all the time. If you're looking for a study Bible, get the New Living Translation. Good stuff. Anyway, there's my little commercial for that. But it's so important that we read bigger chunks of the scripture because it's real attractive for me as the pastor and probably as you to go back into our favorite New Testament book that's got all these meats and how do I get through today? And where I read one or two verses and I'm like, oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. It is good stuff. But when you read like a book at a time, you start to see this big, beautiful story. Does that make sense? And so it's important that you, that you do that and that you read bigger stories to your children as well. What's happening is this. Joshua is the leader of the Israelite nation. And they're sitting at the Jordan River. And when the spies come back, they're like, all right, we got to go do this. He crosses the Jordan River. Now, just 40 years later, Moses crosses the Red Sea. In this miraculous fashion, Moses, through God's power, parts the Red Sea. Joshua has a similar experience. That's, this is very intentional. God is using this narrative in the story to say, listen, I was with you at the Red Sea to protect you and guide you and provide a way out. I am with you now, 40 years later, same God, same stuff. I'll do even the same miracles. I will part the Jordan River so you can walk through. Does that make sense? This is really important um, that, that, that happens, and it continues to happen. Uh, when Jesus walks on water, Thousands of years later, he's like, I don't even have to part this stupid thing. I can just walk on top of it, right? It's the same thing being told over and over and over again. The scarlet thread, it smacks in the ears of the Israelite people reading this. The scarlet is like the blood of the, of the Passover lamb being put over the door frames. The, the scarlet there. The scarlet thread being laid down is that same, that redness and it's woven, that thread's woven all throughout Scripture. And then again, with Jesus, his blood paying for our sins. It is a thread of redemption over and over and over again in the story. Over 10,000 years of writing the Scripture, he keeps on weaving in and out this beautiful narrative. That's why I fell in love with the Scripture. I fell in love with this book before I fell in love with God. I did. I, I, I was called to ministry. I felt like I was called to ministry, but I wasn't living a way I needed to be living at all. Not even close. Kelly's not here today to say amen to that, but I was not, get, I was not there. But I fell in love with the scripture and my reading of it and continuing to study of it was what pulled me closer to his heart. 
what happens is the city is destroyed. If you, get, if you got to go to Sunday school in life, you know how the, the battle happens. If you got to watch some of those um, cheesy uh, 1980s cartoons of the people walking around the city and blowing horns, you know, everyone blows the trumpets. After walking around seven times, the walls come a tumbling down, right? And dust cloud. Except this one wall where this nasty Baymont Inn is standing with a scarlet thread coming down the window. There's this one spot where Rahab and her family are holed up. The whole rest of the city. Rahab's house standing. So what the spies do to honor their oath is they book it. The army is coming 360 degrees, you know, just charging to take care of business. The spies are like, we got to save Rahab. We got to save Rahab. And so they're booking it to that thread. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This house is cool. She's cool. But we're supposed to kill everybody. Not her. It's cool. You're, right. You're okay. She's got the scarlet thread. She, she held up her hand. This is how it happens. Everything. They're killing even the chickens in Jericho. I mean, everything. It's under the ban. It is mm, bad time to be in Jericho. Okay? Rahab's house. The spies are like, no, 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 no. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Truth, read it. It's there. I'm not even making this up. It may sound like that sometimes, but I'm not. God's story always has a redemptive ending. God's story always has a redemptive ending. Why am I talking about Rahab so much? Because in the scripture, this is really cool. There are four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Four. After about 40 generations in Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, that are lineaged out of this person begot, this person begot, 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 begot. There's some really cool... um, gems in there is when these women are mentioned. Why are you mentioning the women? Who cares? Especially in a patriarchal society, no one really cares except these four women with these incredibly unique stories make the cut. I'm not demeaning women. It's just the way it worked, okay? These four women out of 40 generations make it into here. And this is beautiful. This is interesting. So how we God redeems people. Matthew 1 uh, verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Sariah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if that's Genesis chapter 38, I believe, one of the nastiest, dirtiest, ugliest uh, stories in the whole of the Bible is Tamar's story. She's in there. God redeems her. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She makes it in there. She's not even a Jew. She's the 28th grandmother of Jesus. Isn't that cool? God redeems her story because she's willing to let some spies hang out in the thatch of her roof. God redeems her story of running the Baymont in to be the 28th grandmama of Jesus. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, also another person who's not a Jew, who has no business being a part of it here, is the grandma of David, which would be cool enough, right? Which would be cool enough. I'm a foreigner who came, sacrificed a lot. Now I get to be the grandma of David who becomes king of Israel, one of the most famous people in all of Scripture. But then David, who was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, she doesn't make the the list, but this is Bathsheba, a woman that's taken advantage of, a woman that has one of the most heartbreaking stories in the Scripture. 
becomes a grandmama mama of Jesus. God's story always has redemption. God will forgive the darkest of sin in the story. Tamar's story is the darkest, one of the darkest in the scripture, but God uses her, redeems her, restores her. God will use you regardless of your past. Rahab has some of the worst stuff in the Bible, yet she is one of the grandmas of Jesus himself. God will not leave anyone out. Ruth is a refugee seeking asylum in a country that no one likes her. God will not leave anyone out. God can heal any situation. Bathsheba goes through heartbreak like hardly anyone has ever experienced in life. God can heal any situation. That same redemption, that same restoration is available to you as it was to these wonderful ladies in the scripture. God invites you to be part of his story. God invites you to be part of that redemptive story. What you've got to do is say yes. John 8 verse 12 says this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Luke 9 verse 23 says this, then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it. It's like this. We're asking God to write our story, but for some of us, we've been pretty possessive of the pen. We've been writing a story, and we've added some chapters that God probably wouldn't have put in there, if you know what I'm saying. There's some addendums. You're like, why would God write this story for me? He didn't. You grabbed the pen from him and scribbled some things. And so I don't know if you need an object lesson in the morning. I think I'm going to start doing this. I'm just going to put a pen by my bedside and just say, God, today I want you to write my story. Just as I wake up in the morning, just a simple prayer. God, today I want you to write my story and set it down. I don't want control of it anymore. I want you to pen it. I want you to write it. Because when I grab that pen, it's like scribbling on a Da Vinci, right? He's got so much better. He's been writing a story for thousands and thousands of years. Why do I think in my little minuscule time, I can write a better one? I can't. I can't see the bigger picture like he can. Join him. Say yes. Give him the pen. God wants to surprise you with his love if you accept him. God wants to surprise you with his love. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, this is uh, the message trans- or paraphrase. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept him. He wants to surprise you. He is infinitely creative. Life with giving God the pen to your story will be more surprising and more exciting than you could ever imagine for yourself. God wants you to love others with your actions. 
serve him. I think sometimes we're writing our story and we get to a certain point when we give our lives to Christ. And we're like, okay, I'm good. When we get to the end, we know how it ends. We get to go to heaven. We got the last page done. But there's all this rest here that we don't really know what to do with. We're like, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I'm good. So we're just going to, my story's over. I'm done living. I'm just going to be in holding pattern until I get to go to heaven. God wants you to love others with your actions. Let me tell you this. If you're bored being a Christian, you're not doing it right. God wants you to love others. This is where the story gets beautiful. This is a story where this first part can be about when God redeems you, and the back half is how you get to play a role in redeeming others. The first half of the story is the spies leading up to that, to that scarlet thread being led down. The back half is now I'm the grandma of Boaz, and the, or the mother of Boaz, and the, the great-grandma of David, and all these beautiful things. God signs his name to your story. He is the author of your story. And when you live out for him, he signs his name on your heart. I want to live a kind of a a signed his name on my heart kind of life. That whatever I'm walking through, wherever I'm going, whatever situation I'm walking through, I know that, that the name of God is written on my heart. This is available to us today. No matter what we've gone through, no matter where we've been, no matter the situations that we've been through, we're not going to be, we, we might share the stories of Tamar or, or Rahab or, um, or, or Bathsheba. We might share in these weird, awful, awkward stories. We might not have that kind of crazy story. We might just been a run-of-the-mill kind of kid who got in a few little troubles here and there. It doesn't matter. His story is always better. It's always more creative. It's always better for us. Today, I just want to ask you, say, God, I'm tired of writing the story myself. Will you write mine? And it's not that he even has to delete the past. It's that he can make the past even more beautiful. Was Rahab forgiven? Yeah. But he didn't let that define her. He let what she did with it define her. And in that is hope for all of us. We don't have to be defined by the junk that we did. We get to be defined by the story God writes for us in the future. That's for me, and that's for you. Let's pray. God, I ask you to write our story. And God, if there's people in here right now that need to give you control of their pen, give you control of their life. Lord, right now, we give you control. Say, Lord, will you take our lives? We need to be redeemed. We need to be restored. We need to have a a different story told. God, if you can use Rahab, if you can use Tamar, if you can use these least of these women, Lord, I know there's hope for me. I know that you can use me. So, Lord, I give my life to you in this place, in this moment. I give you control. I give you the pen. 
Lord, I can't wait to see what you do with this story. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed.